We've been asked to mark song number 31, and we'll use that at the close of the lesson a little bit later in the service today. We're thankful for each and every one who's assembled this morning, appreciative for the presence and for the blessing that's ours to come together on an occasion like this one, this first day of the week. Certainly, as we give thought to that blessing, I hope the lesson today will also be a reminder of yet another great blessing that we each and every one have. God's unchanging Word. In fact, as we proceed through the lesson this morning, I in fact will invite you to reflect quite a bit on the middle word in that title, the word unchanging, what that word means and what it practically puts before us. As we do that, I hope to present some of these matters in a way that perhaps will be memorable and that might help us appreciate truly what a grand blessing in fact that is. As far as this opening slide, this introductory one, these observations will again be fairly simple and evident, but how really important they are. We each understand that the culture in which we live, the society in which we live, is one in which there is such a constancy and change. That is to say, there is such a consideration wherein things seemingly are changing even more rapidly than maybe they have been in days gone by. That's true of technology. It's easy, isn't it, to imagine that what you and I on a daily basis can often so readily take for granted was not even possible 25 years ago. That is to say, the appliances, the particular things that you and I use hadn't even been developed, hadn't even been invented. But in addition to matters in technology, it's also fair to say that sometimes perspectives change very rapidly call it fads or call it new viewpoints. But what once was thought unthinkable is now welcomed, endorsed, approved, and condoned. And many people don't really consider it a matter to even blush at it anymore. It's, it's accepted. That's all I meant by that opening statement, that change, it seems, is something that is so often observed around us. However, at the bottom of that slide, this point is going to be the major matter we will develop this morning. And it's this, we have been blessed by the God of heaven with something that doesn't change. And may I suggest how comforting that is. What a delightful blessing it is to have something that doesn't alter and change with the fads and fancies of viewpoints. It always stays the same. As we develop that today, again, I hope that the appreciation of it will be a constant reminder of just what a blessing truly the Word of God is. I thought we first would develop in a little bit more detail, though, some of those comments I had just made. I just mentioned, and again, it's fairly easy to appreciate, how that things are seemingly changing so rapidly. What about some of these particulars? Think about medicine. The Food and Drug Administration approves roughly 50 new medicines every year. Every year. And that is to say, some of the things which you and I may take, either today or perhaps in the near future, will be drugs and other particulars that had not even been developed just a very few years ago. Well, that by itself is certainly interesting. But what about communication? We understand on a regular basis today we can employ cell phones. And this kind of communication is immediate. 
we can talk to someone in China, almost wherever we might be, by simply picking up a cell phone. Thirty years ago, there was no cell phone. I can well remember that was not a thing that had been developed, at least at that time. However, not long before that, we can think of other kinds of communication. What about the third one in that list? Things related to transportation. We can climb into a car and drive wherever it seems you and I might wish because there are roadways that permit it. And this car or truck or other kind of mechanized locomotive vehicle will make that a reality. A hundred years ago, how many had access to it? Two hundred years ago, there wasn't any such thing. Look how rapidly matters have changed, and yet we've acclimated to the change and used it in many ways in a wonderful way. What about information? You might well remember a time when there was a large set of Britannica encyclopedias on a shelf in your house. Those are a thing of the past. Now, more or less for a museum at most. Now, we pull up a computer screen and we can Google search and find any number of pieces of information that we might well wish to have access to. All of that's just a very brief reminder of the way in which things so rapidly seem to change. I thought that for, at least for the next few moments, we would think about the year in which we currently live, 2021. What was the world like 100 years ago? The year 1921. Now, many of us weren't alive at that time. I wasn't. And yet, as you think about 1921, perhaps you can remember your grandparents telling you about that year, or at least things that would have been the case. And so for that reason, I selected a few photographs, a few pictures. I suspect the car in which you drove this morning looked nothing like either of them. The car at the top left is a 1921 Touring. You could have bought it at that time for about $435. Even if you had gotten a very nicely presented one, about $465 would have done it. But the point is, that car was a state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line automobile 100 years ago this month. It was something that would have been a very pleasing matter to own, and likely few could have afforded it. But look how things have changed in 100 years. The car at the bottom left is another touring brand. Again, it's a 1921 model. It cost a little bit more, admittedly. But the point is still to be made, isn't it, that the matters that have changed, lots of technology on modern cars weren't present on them. Lots of features of comfort and convenience that we now take for granted were not a part of them. The vehicle at the right is a 1921 model truck. Those of us that own a truck, again, it looks nothing like that in many ways. I simply use those pictures to remind you and me, this is only a hundred years. What if we turn the clock back two hundred years? What would things have looked like in 1821? We'll comment shortly about some of those features, but may I point out, there were no vehicles. They weren't invented at that time. Haven't things changed rapidly, rather dramatically? In addition to that, what about tractors? I suspect those of us that own a tractor, it looks nothing like a 1921 model tractor. Now, some of you may remember tractors that looked a bit like that one. I do not. 
But I would invite you to notice so many features about them that bear quite little resemblance to some of the features we now have. The point again being, look at how things have so dramatically changed in only 100 years. Again, one more time, they didn't exist in 1821. Whether you're talking about tractors or trucks or cars, the changes have been evident and quite frankly, very dramatic. All of these changes perhaps takes us back to that previous slide. I mentioned earlier, we could talk about 1821. We're not going to step through the years one by one. Our lesson's not about that. But our lesson perhaps might be this. If you do think back to 1821, could I mention the President of the United States at that time was a gentleman named James Monroe. The country was less than 50 years old then. The state of Tennessee was the most western state in the Union at that time. There were no states west of us. There was no Arkansas. There was no Oklahoma. There was no Texas, Arizona, California, or any of the others. Those territories had not been added to the Union at that time. Look how things have changed. One of the greatest issues that in fact was a matter of discussion was slavery. You might remember at that time, in fact, in that very year, the territory of Missouri was added, and it was declared to be permissive of slavery so that Maine could be added as a free state. How times have changed. Furthermore, on that list, what if we step back 500 years from today? The year 1521, the United States didn't exist. That country had not been such that it came into existence. Christopher Columbus was at that time making his discoveries. He was sailing across the Atlantic. Now, he had already landed, of course, in what we would call America some years earlier, but he was still alive at this time. Maybe it's fair to say, what if we went back another 500 years? The year 1021. Our world would look so different than what it looks like today. There were nationalities such as Great Britain, Spain, places like that. But you and I realize so many of the things that we now take for granted were not to be seen then. I mention all those things to point this out. We today aren't talking about trucks and cars and tractors. We aren't talking about specific nations of people. What we're talking about is the unchanging Word of God. And so I would now invite you with those things as a background, think about the people that did live in 1921 and 1821 and 1521 and 1021. What were those people expected to do to please God? What were they expected by God to do to live in a way that would be a blessing for themselves and for others? That kind of question is a rich one and a profound one and one that we're going to develop at some length on this next slide. This next slide takes your attention and mind to the Bible, the Word of God. And couldn't we begin by noting this? Whether one lived in 1921 or 1821, there was a standard of godliness, a standard that was proper in every way, and it has not changed since then. What your great-grandfather needed to do to please God is the same thing you and I need to do. There was no difference in expectations. 
what his great-grandfather would have done in 1821. That's still the same thing that's expected of us. What the 20th generation was prior to him, still the same thing was expected. I say all that to say, whenever we think I believe in some earnestness about that, that's remarkable. That's absolutely astounding that despite the changes in culture, transportation, communication, medicines or otherwise, something has been unchanging through the years. Absolutely fixed in its character. Maybe it is in that light. Why don't we look at a few verses? We'll start in Isaiah 40 verse 8. Now this was written in the Old Testament era. But in that text of the ancient day, God commissioned the prophet Isaiah to make this statement. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth away, but the word of our God shall endure forever. The word of our God shall stay unchanged. So the word of God, as it had been presented in that day, was something that was fixed. It was not a matter that changed with the culture or the inventions or the development. And wouldn't it be fair to say the human family has always enjoyed developments and inventions And yet the Word of God was to be unchanging. What if we turn over to Matthew 24 and listen to the words of our Savior Himself? In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus pointed out this in the midst of a discussion that highlighted the characteristics of the coming judgment upon the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus Himself said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My Word shall not pass away. Did you notice? The Word of God shall then last beyond this earth. And this earth seems so fixed, it seems so considerate in terms of its maintenance. And yet Jesus said, Though heaven and earth shall pass away, my Word won't. There is something, you see, that is more strongly anchored, more strongly fixed, and more unchanging. It is the Word of God. The lesson text that was read just a few minutes ago in our hearing. This lesson text that presented the earnestness and the strength of 1 Peter 1.25. Wasn't it the Apostle Peter who there said, The Word of the Lord endureth forever. The Word of God. As I mentioned earlier, we aren't thinking today about trucks and tractors and cars, but I did show you those pictures to remind all of us how things change how they proceed, in many ways how we suppose they improve. And yet in the infinite wisdom and understanding of God, He wrote a book that's timeless. And may I say, He didn't write it a hundred years ago, or even two hundred years ago, or even a thousand years ago. This book was completed almost two thousand years ago. That's when it was completed. How did He write it in such a way that it would be appropriate needful and timely for every generation, no matter when they might live until the end of time. That's the genius of God, isn't it? Far above what you or I could have done. You and I might be able to write a book with some nuggets of wisdom for people living today, but how would we know how they might live a thousand years from now? Or ten thousand years from now? You and I would have no idea. We can't even imagine what particulars might be concerning society by that time. And yet, this much we know. 
however people may be living, in whatever particulars of communication, medicine, transportation, or otherwise, this will be as pertinent and as required of them as it has been for you and me. The unchanging Word of God. As you journey forward on that slide with me, may I say that we have a rather interesting example of Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 36. There was a, a king who himself didn't much like what the Word of God had to say. And he took out his penknife and cut it to shreds and threw it in the fire. Did he have success in doing away with the Word of God? Did he have success in somehow removing himself from being subject to it? Oh, he didn't. In fact, God commissioned Jeremiah, you write again the same things that were in it and add some more to it and give it to him. The words of God's judgment and the words of God's wrath continued on Jehoiakim just as if nothing had ever happened. May I say that you and I can't do away with God's Word, and it will be as powerful and as potent as the years roll by. Perhaps for that reason, I do want you to think about the unchangeable character of the Word of God. We have so far discussed this morning by way of some pictures and otherwise about how things seeming to change and we accept it. I thought about showing other pictures like clothing styles, what people dressed like a hundred years ago. Doesn't look a lot like today. I prepared a few pictures of telephones. What did a telephone look like a hundred years ago? Not much like what they look like today. You could list so many particulars, but it never ceases to be almost jarring to the conscience to appreciate the infinite blessing of God to give us a book no bigger than this that addresses the needs of people no matter where they live, no matter what their particulars may be, no matter what the government of their country may endorse. And He did it all in this. In fact, if you think of it, over three-quarters of this is Old Testament. If I pull out only the New Testament, it's only about that much. And that's all that anybody needs to go to heaven. That's amazing. And it's unchanging. No matter what the society of our world brings us. Now at the bottom, I would invite you to note this. People, it's true, have tried to get rid of the Bible. You may recall that several of those living during the time of the French Enlightenment, they were rather disturbed by the Bible. So much so that Voltaire, perhaps the most well-known of that group, made the public declaration, within 50 years, there shall be no Bibles. You see, he thought, sure, that humankind had reached the point where we don't need this anymore. People have advanced beyond it. People in thinking, in viewpoint, in worldview, this is obsolete and it's unneeded. I find it remarkable that Voltaire is long since dead. And the particular set of faults that he presented, by and large, nobody knows anything about them. But this book marches on. Jeremiah put it like this. In Jeremiah 22, verse 29, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. And exactly one chapter later in Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. You see, the Word of God is like that old anvil that's described in the poem. You know, in that poem, 
I do not remember the particular name of it. But there's a description of an anvil and lots of hammers. And as the poem proceeds onward, it describes the fact that there have been a lot of hammers worn out by the anvil. But the anvil lives on. The hammers don't wear the anvil out. It's the anvil that wears the hammers out. The anvil to which you and I turn our attention, and the one that's such a blessing to us is none other than the unchanging Word of God. God stated some other things about the nature of His Word that highlights the unchangeable character of it. What about Deuteronomy 4, verses, verse number 2? In that ancient day, to the children of Israel, God particularly said, Thou shalt not add to it. Now notice, doesn't that speak volumes about some interesting things? So as the people were to become more knowledgeable of science and math and other particulars, don't you suppose they would have found a time that they could maybe in wisdom have added something to it? God said, you never, ever add anything to it. That's fascinating. Later on, we read, in fact, in Deuteronomy 12, 32, only a few chapters later, He said almost exactly the same thing. A reminder that the Word of God is never to be tampered with. Never should we suppose we can add something to it. I find it rather interesting that on the last page of the Bible... In Revelation 22, the last chapter, one final time, John the Revelator was in fact encouraged to write these words. Those who have the nerve to add something to this book, he was talking about the book of Revelation, but to add to it sets this principle. Those who add to it, to them will be added the plagues written in this book. But on the other hand, to those who would take something away from this book, their name will be taken away from the book of life. Either way you look at it, whether we would attempt to add to it or whether we would attempt to take from it, it is a sin. It's a disastrous and dangerous thing. God's unchangeable Word, doesn't that highlight the blessedness of it? Isn't it a bit interesting as you think about all of those things? Here are some applications then. Things at least that I think can be directly matters of consideration as we ponder the unchangeable character of the Word of God. First of all, I'm going to invite you to think about the law of Moses. We don't live beneath that law, that's true. But note the principle of it. So God gave to the children of Israel this law that we call the law of Moses, and He did so at Sinai as detailed in Exodus chapters 20 and following. May I ask, how long did that law survive? Well, of course, the New Testament tells us it was nailed to the cross, so it lasted until the Lord died. Have you ever thought about the fact that was over 1,500 years? Civilizations rose during that time. The Arabians learned a lot about mathematics. A lot about medicine from the ancient Greeks finally came to fruition during that time. You might have thought society would develop to the point where something could have been added to the Bible, to the law of Moses, and yet it was never to be so. What was revealed then at Sinai, this was to be the constant, unchanging law for the Jews. It doesn't matter what your society learns how to do. It doesn't matter what perspectives you develop. This law remains inviolate. 
It is not to be changed no matter what. That's the way they were to look at it. 1,500 years, that's rather remarkable, isn't it? You may notice furthermore on that slide, God explicitly expressed to them that they were to obey that law. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. Deuteronomy 4, verse 40. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. All highlight the fact that all the laws, statutes, judgments that had been delivered, they were to be kept. Again, no reference made to exceptions if future society or culture were to change. That was not even... Not even a consideration. Another particular application might be this one. As you look further on that slide, think about some of those particulars that we have engaged in today. The partaking of the Lord's Supper. Doesn't it seem old-fashioned, at least through the lens of modern humanity? And yet you and I have kept it for 2,000 years. When I say you and I, I mean Christians. Almost 2,000 years. For aren't we told in Acts 20 verse 7 that Christians at Troas met and kept it? They observed it. Christians in Corinth observed it. 1 Corinthians 11. Those, of course, who lived on the Isle of Patmos with John, they too understood the character and the nature of the Lord's Supper. And yet, as we faithfully keep it, we do so because of the unchanging Word of God. And so some might ask the questions, Could there be a time when the palates of people and the tastes of people change? Could we improve this? Mankind might someday invent some kind of a food due to the chemistry and the knowledge of the way in which the human taste works. Maybe there's something that tastes better than anything we can imagine. Should it be put on the Lord's table if such a thing were to be invented? I'm sure many people, if that were to happen, might suppose that'd be a great idea. Because aren't we always wanting to give God our best? And if that's the best, shouldn't that be what we use? Absolutely not. Because the Bible says it's fruit of the vine and unleavened bread. That settles it. It doesn't matter what's invented or how it happens. That, you see, doesn't change. What about the plan of salvation? How does a person please God? How does a person thus have his or her sins washed away? We don't know what mankind may invent 5,000 years from now. If this earth stands, what may be possible? But should we not be reminded, the plan of salvation will be exactly the same then as it does now. By that time, there might be people living on Mars. There might be people living in other places of our universe because mankind has developed the means with rocketry and otherwise to go there. But it won't change anything. They'll need to take the Lord's Supper like we do. They'll need to assemble and worship like we do. They'll need to have the same plan of salvation appreciated that we do. That's phenomenal to think about something that doesn't change that way. In fact, I highlighted that at the next part of that slide. The nature of assembly. The human family has already developed the opportunity to have meetings and yet somehow stay apart. You and I can open up a computer and have a meeting with somebody living in Japan. That person logs on to his or her computer, we log on to ours, and we open up some kind of a program and we have a meeting with them. 
No, there was a time the best you could do was pick up a phone and call them. And earlier than that, the best you could do perhaps was jump on a plane and go there. Some have wondered, so can we have worship services like this? You live at your house, I live at mine, we open a computer and we have a virtual worship. That will never work. May I say, if the day comes people are living on Mars, there needs to be church buildings there too. There need to be baptistries there. There need to be things that would permit the assembly and the nature of the character of carrying out the worship described in the New Testament and the other particulars of service described in the New Testament. Because the New Testament doesn't change. Those kinds of matters are beautiful in many ways, aren't they? I believe all of us like to cling to things that are constant because sometimes it bothers us when things change so much and we like things to remain fixed and workable as they are. May I suggest to you God did that better than any of us ever could. He gave us a book that never changes. Its messages never are altered. In Matthew 15, verses 7, 8, and 9, Jesus pointed out then that there were those who substitute for doctrine the commandments of men. Oh, it's true, men try. But the Lord quickly said their worship is vain. It's not acceptable. It is not equivalent to the Word of God. The discussion that we have attempted to consider today have reminded us that when one thinks about God's presentation, His unchangeable Word... Doesn't that then go on to include so many particulars of moral character? What's ethical behavior? What's moral behavior? You know, men like to think they determine that. And so this society now permits this or that or something else. May I say men don't determine that? They never have. God determines what's right. He determines what's moral, and as I said earlier... Civilizations, even on Mars, this will be the standard for right living even there. It won't be anything different or anything else. Aren't we thankful for the unchanging Word of God? That we can teach it to our children and they can open and read what we did, which is what our parents read and what our grandparents and our great-grandparents. This unchanging theme of truth, this unchanging presentation from heaven the unchanging Word of God. Aren't we reminded of verses perhaps like this? 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. To that person that would wish to be complete, perfect, as the King James reads it, this is always what's going to be demanded and required. Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, If you want to know how to behave in the church of God, this is how you do it. There is a way to behave rightly. That means there's a way to behave wrongly. And if we want to do it rightly, it's the Word of God. Today, over the course of our discussion, we looked at a number of things. Reminded us how that things change when it's due to men. Discoveries, inventions... But yet we are so thankful to be anchored in truth that never changes. The Word of God. One more time, I listed those verses that we noted earlier. 
Even though the grass withers and the flower fades away, the Word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. And Jesus again declared, Though heaven and earth pass away, my words won't. Matthew 24, 35. And Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 25, that the Word of God endures forever. Today, may we be so thankful for the Bible. I know in the season of Thanksgiving, which is now upon us, and this week as we reflect upon many things for which we're thankful, I trust we'll include the Bible, certainly high on that list. Something that is our infallible guide that leads from this place to a far better one. Today, maybe as you analyze your life, and as I do the same for me, if there's things that are, that are amiss, things that aren't as they ought to be, maybe at one time you were a faithful child of God and you lived in accordance to the premises unchanged in the nature of God's Word, but over time there have been changes, perhaps gradual, almost imperceptibly slowly. But now in the realization of the moment, you know that things are not as they should be. And your soul is not only in jeopardy, it's actually in grave danger. Won't you come back to your first love today? If you will acknowledge those sins in the form of repentance and confession, the Word of God promises, as it has for 2,000 years, that God will forgive you. We would ask that we could be of some assistance today just to let you know that we would wish to help. If you've never become a Christian, may I say, Oh, what an opportunity for you to become a member of the unchanging body of Christ and to give your life in full service to this book that never changes. You may not know what your life is going to be like in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. And that's a fair statement. And I might say that kind of uncertainty can be very unsettling to many people. But to a Christian, it needs not be unsettling because you're in the hand of one far more powerful than you. And you're able to follow His leadership and know that everything's okay. For the Lord promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. And so today, if you'd like to become a Christian, you have to do the very same thing they did in the book of Acts. Believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess His wonderful name and be baptized. And today, if we could be of some help in those regards, it'd be our delight and joy. And so we're going to use this song of encouragement and invite you to come while together we stand and while we sing.